Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377, back behind where they're building those new townhomes. We'd love to meet with you this morning and be able to fellowship with you and pray with you, but if that can't happen this morning, maybe sometime in the future. We do have a couple of online resources for you. If you want to follow our ministry and follow our teaching, you can go to facebook.com slash point to life facebook.com slash point to life you can follow our teaching there we also have a blog point to life.wordpress.com life point baptist church sunday school at 10 a.m morning worship at 11 a.m we meet at the early chamber of commerce small business incubator facility today we'll continue our study in the book of revelation we'll be in revelation chapter 2 revelation chapter 2 we are going on a study through the book of revelation This is going to be a fascinating journey that we're going to take. Now, when we study through the book of Revelation, we have to remember the background and the purpose of the book of Revelation. If we don't, we're going to wind up trying to do some speculation that's going to take us into some uncharted waters, and we don't want to do that. We want to stick to the message that the Lord wants us to hear. The book of Revelation is titled, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is about Christ being revealed to the world when he returns and establishes his kingdom on this earth. And this book was given by prophecy, by inspiration to the apostle John, who then wrote it down. Now, there is a specific audience that was in mind when this book was written, and that is the seven churches that were in Asia at the time. And so when Jesus tells John to write down what he sees in the book, he tells John to write this to the seven churches which are in Asia, and that being Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And that's important because the Lord was addressing those specific churches. Now, as he addressed those specific churches, there are things that we learn from this as well. But there are some things that are going to be in this book that are going to mean something special to those churches, and we need to make sure that we don't try to you know, come up with some sort of a symbolism to make it mean something it didn't mean. And one of the most common places where that happens is when you're reading chapter two, which is where we are this morning, and the letters to the seven churches. A lot of people think that these letters to the seven churches represent seven seven different time periods within the church age. They think that this is allegory. They think that this is symbolic that each letter to each church represents a period of time in church history. Like the first letter to the church at Ephesus represented that time right after Jesus rose to be at the right hand of the throne of God and the apostle Paul was doing his ministry and things were going well in the church. And then there are some periods where where there are some of the letters to the churches where some theologians say that's symbolic of a period in church history where heresy and idolatry were rampant within the church. The problem with that interpretation of Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, which include the letters to the seven churches of Asia. The problem with the interpretation of trying to break that out into seven different time periods within the church age, 
the problem with that, first of all, is that that totally undermines the idea that Christ was actually talking to those specific churches. Jesus told John to write these specific letters to these specific churches, which means that Jesus had a message to convey to a particular group of people, which means that this is a message that's designed for people in the real world to hear for a specific group of people in the real world, which means it's not allegory. Because the rules of Bible interpretation are that if the literal the literal interpretation of the word makes sense, then you go with the literal interpretation. You don't go to metaphor or symbolism unless the literal doesn't make any sense. And if you read chapter two in terms of it being a letter to a specific church or letters to specific churches, then the literal interpretation makes sense. And so we have to go with that. And so the letters to the seven churches of Asia, and we're going to look at four of them this morning, the letters to the churches of Asia, time permitting, the letters to the churches of Asia are to be interpreted literally. So we are to understand that there are specific things going on in these specific churches that the Lord is addressing and that we are to learn from those. Now, these situations that the Lord was addressing, he was addressing these issues in order to get those churches to correct their path and to prepare those people to meet the Lord. And that is the purpose of the book of Revelation. So with all that in mind, let's begin reading in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitanes, which I also hate. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan." Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication." 
So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitanes, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden." But that which ye have already, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Again, the book of Revelation discusses the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world. The day is coming when Christ will be revealed to the world and nobody will be able to deny him. The events that happen in this book that will be foretold in this book will be undeniable. So one will be forced to decide whether to repent and believe or whether to reject and rebel. But that rejection and that rebellion against God leads to destruction. So Christ gave John the words to write Revelation to prepare the seven churches of Asia for his coming. And by extension, we reading these same words can learn what the Lord wanted them to learn so that we can be prepared to meet the Lord. Now, they met the Lord when they passed away 2,000 years ago. We will meet the Lord either when he returns if we live to see that day or when we pass away. On Judgment Day, everything will be laid bare. Your actions will be revealed. Your motivations will be revealed. But Christ, in his grace, gives us instruction through his scripture on how we can prepare for that day. In the letters to the churches of Asia, Christ tells us that he sees everything. He sees our love and works. He sees our struggles. He sees our errors. And he calls us to repent. The Lord sees our love and works. If you're just joining us, we're in Revelation chapter 2. Let's look in verses 2 and 3 here in Revelation chapter 2. The Lord sees our love and works. In verse 2, Jesus told the church at Ephesus, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not 
and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. The Lord said he knew their work. He knew how they labored to spread his gospel in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a town that was hostile to the gospel. Their local economy was built on idolatry, the worship of the goddess Diana. And they built little silver statues of her, and people would go to worship at the temple of Diana. And uh, the goddess Diana, uh, worshiping her involved a lot of sexual immorality. So not only was it idolatrous worship, but for the lost sinner, it was pleasurable idolatrous worship. And then they would buy the, the silver statues, the silver figurines of Diana and take home with them. And this is how their local economy was built. The church at Ephesus preached the gospel. And when the apostle Paul was there, it had such an impact on the community that people quit buying the silver statues of Diana in the, in the amount that they were buying previously. And so you wind up with this silversmith who raised an issue, and the Apostle Paul wound up being drugged into this big meeting that was being held at the theater where the entire town came together to figure out what to do about these Christians. And Paul wanted to go out on stage and address them, but his uh, compadres wouldn't let him do that because they knew that if he went out on that stage, they were going to kill him. I mean, this was a town that was hostile to the gospel, yet the church at Ephesus continued to preach the gospel there, and the gospel flourished. In fact, you could actually argue that the church at Ephesus killed the city of Ephesus because you'll find in history a few hundred years later, the town just kind of more or less goes away. It disappears. It declines and goes away. Well, why would that happen? Because when you have a town that is built on the idea of idolatry and then the gospel permeates that town and idolatry declines and that economy declines, when the economy declines, so does the town. That's an interesting th- way to look at it. But Ephesus was a city that was, that was hostile to the gospel. And the Lord recognized the fact that they continued to work for him. They continued to preach his gospel. They continued to minister. They continued to do what the Lord had called them to do, even amidst that hostility. He recognized their work, and he showed appreciation of their work. He knew every detail of their activities, even those activities which no other man paid attention to. Listen, God knows what we do for him, and he appreciates what we do for him. The Lord said he knew their patience. That word patience means endurance. He knew how they were enduring and how they were staying faithful, despite the hostilities that they encountered. The church at Ephesus remained faithful to the Lord and continued to serve him despite the persecution and hardship that they endured through the process, and the Lord honored that perseverance. The Lord is honored when we persevere, and he will honor our perseverance. And then in verse 4, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And so here we have the church at Ephesus. They're working for the Lord. He sees it. He appreciates that. They're enduring for the Lord. He sees that. He appreciates that. But there's something that they're missing, and there's something that he has to correct with the church at Ephesus. As great of a church as it was, it still had its flaws. And as great as we can be in the sight of the Lord, we still have our flaws. 
And when the Lord calls our attention to those flaws and when the Lord calls our attention to our sin, our reaction should not be to become frustrated or angry or or feel like that we'll never be there. Our reaction should be to use that opportunity to continue to grow in the Lord. The Lord says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, much has been said about what it means to have left their first love. Some think that the church lost its passion. Others think the church forgot while they served the Lord. And I think all of these are a factor. You have to ask yourself, what would have been the first love of the church at Ephesus? I contend that the first love of the church at Ephesus was Christ. And why not? Why wouldn't the love of the one who first loved them, a love that sent Christ to the cross, which was the basis for their salvation and their relationship with Christ and each other, why wouldn't Christ have been their first love since he founded the whole thing? Why wouldn't we love Christ for the same reason? Why wouldn't we love each other for the same reason? You see, the Bible says, Jesus said, you've left your first love love, agape love, self-sacrificial love, love that places the emphasis on the need of the other, love that doesn't seize the opportunity to defeat the other or to humiliate the other. We're talking about this self-sacrificial redemptive love that helps, that heals, that endures, that redeems. This self-sacrificial love that is not contingent on an emotion. That's the kind of love we're talking about. That's the love that Christ had for us. That's the love that Ephesus at one time had for Christ. But the church at Ephesus had lost this. They were no longer motivated by their love for Christ. They were no longer motivated by their love for each other. And thus, their religion had become empty and lifeless And when your religion becomes empty and lifeless, when your religion loses its love, and when I say religion, you you know, we we bend over backwards to not use the religion word, the, the word religion. We bend over backwards to try to come up with different words to describe our faith and our lifestyle and our practice of worship. We come up with different words to try to describe Christianity. But the Bible uses the word religion to describe what we do. The Bible tells us in the book of James that uh, pure religion, religion, true religion, pure and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows, okay? True religion, pure, undefiled. The Bible uses the word religion. There's nothing wrong with the word religion. When your religion, when your faith in Christ, when your church life loses that love, when you forget the love that Christ had for you and you are no longer being motivated by that love toward others, that becomes an empty place. That becomes a dark place. That's a bad place to be. That's a place where anger and resentment and hopelessness dwell. And so the Lord tells us in verse 5 and tells the church at Ephesus in verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Remember from whence you have fallen. 
Go back to the way it was in the beginning. Remember the beginning? Remember the day you were saved? Remember the day that you turned from your sins and you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I don't know. Maybe it was at home. Maybe you were, I had a preacher friend that was saved in the pea patch in his garden, okay? Um, maybe it was there. Maybe you walked the aisle after a revival meeting or after a church service and the preacher led you through a prayer expressing your repentance and faith toward God. Do you remember that moment and do you remember what it was like that day that you were saved and then that day that you followed the Lord in baptism? Do you remember that feeling? you remember that lifting of the burden off your shoulders? remember that newness you felt? Remember that. Go back to that. Recapture that. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 24 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. To hold fast the profession of your faith means to go back and cling tightly to your moment of salvation. Remember what it was like in the beginning when you loved Jesus and when you loved people and return to that. Lovelessness will kill a church. Lovelessness will kill your testimony. Lovelessness will leave you cold and bitter. So the Lord sees our love and our work, or in some cases, our lack thereof. Secondly, the Lord sees our struggles. In verse 9, Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. The Lord not only knew their works, but also their tribulation and their poverty. Tribulation simply means troubles. He understood their troubles. He understood what they were struggling with. And when he says he understands, he doesn't mean that he just understands that the troubles are happening, but he has experienced those troubles because the Bible tells us that he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He understood their troubles. Their troubles. He understood their suffering. He understood their poverty, that they had nothing, that they struggled financially, that they were living hand to mouth, that they even had anything in their hand to begin with. But he also noted that they were rich spiritually. So this church at Smyrna has some things going for it. The Lord knows our troubles. He's experienced our troubles. He, he knows what it's like to suffer. The Lord knows our poverty, and he understands it. He understood the oppression of the phony Christians. In verse 9, he says, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. These phony Jews, these phony Christians, these fake Christians caused problems for the church. They spread false doctrines. They blasphemed through false teaching. They were trying to ruin the testimony of the church. They were trying to ruin the testimony of Christ. And they were also responsible for persecution in some cases. But Jesus says in verse 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Fear nothing that will happen to you. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 6, See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. You see, whatever is happening in your life and whatever is happening on a global scale, God is working a plan. As I speak to you this morning, and as this program is being recorded for future playback on the internet and online on our, on our blog and our 
podcast and on our Facebook pages, uh, pointtolife.wordpress.com. You can access all that stuff there. As I, as I speak these words this morning, the United States military is conducting airstrikes on Syria, and the international community is more or less behind this. And there are two sides to this conflict. There's the United States and our allies, and there's Russia and their allies. And there is concern that this could lead to other places. There is concern that this could lead to a wider war. And the Bible tells us, and Jesus told us back in Matthew chapter 24, that there would be wars and rumors of wars. And then he said in Matthew 24, 6, see that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass. See, God is working a plan, a global plan, a plan to bring about the return of his kingdom. He's also working on a personal plan for you. And that personal plan that he has for you is to refine you and to bring you into his eternal kingdom. Everything that happens has a purpose. Nothing you go through is for nothing. Everything that happens to you has a purpose. To be tried means to be refined. To be refined is what we do with metal. We heat it up, we melt it down, we boil it, we remove the impurities, and then we let it cool and take its form, and it's better off. It's, it becomes a more refined, a better product. That's how we get steel. That's how we get refined and pure silver. That's how we get refined gold. In fact, the Bible actually refers to the trials of our faith as being like the refining of gold. See, God disciplines us. He refines us, and then he blesses us. And you have to learn to trust that process and to trust God through that process. And God will reward that journey. He says in verse 10, Jesus says in verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So the Lord sees our love and our works or our lack thereof. He sees our struggles, but he also sees our errors. And in Thyatira, he says in verse 20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Jezebel. Now, it's interesting that this is the same name as an evil Old Testament queen. This lady Jezebel had the same characteristics as well. Through false teaching, she enticed people to sin. Fornication literally means sexual immorality. But God often uses this word as a metaphor for false teaching and false worship. And likely here at the church of Thyatira, we had both issues happening. And so the warning we get from Thyatira is to be on guard, to not drift into sin, to not drift into false worship, and to avoid these things by staying in the scriptures. In verse 21, Jesus said, I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. God is graceful. He gives us time and space to repent. So if you were under conviction this morning, then repent of that sin and repent of what you were under conviction for. Then verse 22, Jesus said, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. God holds us accountable for sin and for false worship. Do not be deceived into thinking that he won't. A lot of us... A lot of people believe that once you're saved, you're always saved, and you can just kind of live however you want to because God's going to welcome you into heaven anyway. Listen, your sin, if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you will not lose your salvation, but the Lord has a way of disciplining us and bringing extreme measures into our lives 
in order to correct the sin that is in our lives. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You see, the Bible is interesting in Galatians 6, 7 in that it says, Be not deceived. So first of all, don't be deceived in the thinking that you can live a sinful lifestyle and not face consequences for that sin. If you're a Christian, don't be deceived. The idea that you can live however you want to consequence free because you're a Christian is a false doctrine and it's a deception that people pull on people. Don't be deceived into that because the Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, God is not mocked. Interesting use of words there. God is not mocked. You see, God is not some fool that you can take advantage of. The Lord offers us free salvation. The Lord offers us free redemption. The Lord offers us a place in his kingdom. And he will receive us into his kingdom as we are. He will redeem us. He will save us. He will cleanse us. And there's not one work we can do in order to earn that. But once we have received that free gift of salvation, we become one of his children And so he has a code of conduct for us, and he holds us accountable to that. And when we violate that, he disciplines us. God is not a fool. He will hold us accountable. So if there is sin in your life, turn from that sin and return to the Lord and ask his forgiveness. That's Galatians, excuse me, that's Galatians 6, 7, that particular concept. The study we just did, Revelation chapter 2. Next episode, we'll go over Revelation chapter 3. I look forward to it. Life Point Baptist Church meets Sunday morning, 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m. We meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. May God bless you.